0: So, again, with Acts chapter 2, 42 through 47, this is our control text, right? Uh, we're working through uh, the first Jesus community and what it looks like. And here's what Luke says about that group of people. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe, and many wonders and miraculous signs were done by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common selling their possessions and goods they gave to anyone as he had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. The epistle reading is from Ephesians chapter 4 and... If you were here last week, it's going to sound uh, really familiar to you because it's real similar to the text that we read from 1 Corinthians 12. Paul says, As a prisoner for the Lord then, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called. He who descended is the very one who ascended higher than all the heavens in order to fill the whole universe. It was He who gave some to be apostles, some to be prophets, some to be evangelists, and some to be pastors and teachers to prepare God's people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. The Holy Gospel according to St. Mark, the third chapter. Glory to you, O Lord. Jesus went up on a mountainside and called to him those he wanted, and they came to him. He appointed twelve, designating them apostles, that they might be with him, and that he might send them out to preach and to have authority to drive out demons. These are the twelve he appointed. Simon, to whom he gave the name Peter, James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John. To them he gave the name Boanerges, which means sons of thunder. Andrew, Philip, Bartholomew, Matthew, Thomas, James, son of Alphaeus, Thaddeus, Simon the Zealot, and Judas Iscariot, who betrayed him. This is the gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, O Christ. Okay, this is actually going to be the second half of the sermon, uh, that we started last week. So this is basically the same sermon. And last week, what I what I wanted to do was talk to you about the theology behind community. And not to preach the whole sermon again, but just to remind you that what we're talking about is uh, Jesus' body is the only thing that can save us. Jesus, right? And so um, when Jesus uh, leaves and goes to sit at the right hand of his father at the ascension, he doesn't just abandon us, but he gives us his body to keep on saving the world. And uh, there's his body at the right hand of the Father. Uh, There's a conduit there, though, which is his body here given to us in Holy Communion. And through the power of his word, working audibly from the Bible or visually as you read your Bible or in bread and wine form, he recreates his body here. Paul calls this in uh, many different places, the body of Christ. And what he means is that Christ's body is this right here, you you and I. And what this means then is that we belong to each other. We're responsible to each other. That what you are is me and what I am is you. And that this should not be, we'll come back to this at the end of the sermon today, the way that that a lot of us grew up with church, I I know me, is that uh, I think that we're all probably, most of you who are believers and have been believers for a while are probably too theologically sophisticated to say, well, the church is the building, right? I mean, we will all say, no, that's not, that's not the case. But what we think of is when we think of church is this event. Church is when we all come together and uh, we hear preaching and we sing hymns and we pray and we take Holy Communion. Actually, that, of course, is a super, super important part of church. But church is who we are all of our lives, all the time. All right, that's what we did last week. And I told you that what we were going to do this week is talk about practical ways t- to make that happen here at St. James. So, I, like, one of the things that we do when I say uh, we like uh, pastors is we say things that I'm assuming nobody came up to me last week and said, "Oh, you know, I, I didn't get it," or oh, that was just really boring. Try and do something different next week, or like shape up your, you know, your your, your game plan. Everybody's like, "Okay, that's good." Yeah, Body of Christ. But then you like get in your cars because that's what you do every Sunday, right? And you go home and you eat lunch because that's what you do every Sunday. And then you get up on Monday morning and you go to your work or you, you go out and you work on the garden or whatever. And then it's Sunday before you have any sort of contact with the body of Christ again. So it's all good words, but we need to have some sort of plan to like, put it into action. How are we actually going to become the body of Christ? Not Not become, you already are that in Jesus Christ, but actually start to flesh that out. to to, to put it into practice. And that's what I want to do today. And the way that I'm going to do it is, let's go back to Acts 2, uh, uh, 42 through 47. Now, we've been reading this every Sunday for the past month. We haven't actually talked about Acts 42 through 47. And so let me point out a few things to you in this text that that, that will help us, I think, hopefully help us. So, verse 42, uh, the, the early Christ community devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. We've talked about that, the importance of doctrine, the importance of preaching. And to the fellowship, all right, you, um, some of you have heard uh, what that word is, that word koinonia, it just means shared life. They devoted themselves to each other. They gave up their own individual lives to participate in the life of the whole, in the community life. And there's three different things in here that Luke points out the way that, the way that this looked, and so I kind of want to uh, poke around at these things for a few minutes. First of all, look at verse 42, uh, verse 44. All the believers were together and had everything in common. All the believers were together and had everything in common. We use this phrase "have stuff in common" a lot. You know, I have a lot in common with them. We'll say, "What do, we, what do you mean by that?" When you say something along the lines of, "Oh, oh yeah, I've got a lot in common with that guy." What we mean usually is that we share interests, uh, we share hobbies, maybe we share ideologies. We kind of like the same politics or, you know, we think about, uh, whatever, you, you pick a topic. We, 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 we enjoy watching similar sports on TV, things like that. That's what we mean is that we have shared interest. And what's behind that is this notion that people I have stuff in common with gratify my desire to be with people that are like me. Now, I'm not saying that that's wrong. It's, it's a lot easier to hang out with people who are like you in shared interest. I'm not saying it's wrong. But that's usually what we mean. And so that's where it stops is like shared interest, right? So, I, so, if, so, so would, I, would I ever say, I have everything completely in common with Angela. That's, she's the person I'm most close, closest to in the whole world. No, I wouldn't say that. I would never say, oh, we have everything in common. I would say we have a lot in common, right? But there is some stuff that she likes to do that I'm not interested in. I like to play golf. She's not interested one bit in playing golf. So we don't have everything in common. But what's interesting is what Luke says here. They had everything in common. They had everything in common, verse 44 says. Does that mean that they all decided, look, okay, we are all going to like golf. You know, No choice. No, no. because what he means when he says they had everything in common has nothing really to do with shared interest. They may or may not have shared interest. Most likely they didn't. We know for a fact, and this is one of the reasons why I wanted to read, it's like maybe the second time this year we've read uh, the story from Mark. It's not really a story, but Jesus calling the 12 disciples. One of the reasons I wanted to read that is to remind me to tell you guys that within Jesus' most close-knit community, I mean the very foundation of the earliest Jesus community are people who had wildly divergent politics. Matthew, you guys have heard this before, right? But like Simon Peter, most likely a zealot. This is is certainly his behavior in the Garden of Gethsemane, is it's time for the revolution. Let's get our swords out and go after Rome. And then you have Matthew, who is like the Vichy French in World War II. He's completely a collaborator. He was a tax collector. He was a Jew who went over and worked for the Roman government. I'm going to guess that on an ideological or political level, Matthew and Peter had nothing in common at all. And yet here's Luke, first of all, here's Jesus pulling them in together into his community. And then here's Luke saying they had everything in common. Not shared interest, but on a really practical level, he means everything. Think about everything that belongs to you, everything that is yours. You share that in common with me. This is what it means as he goes on in verse 44, or verse 45, I'm sorry. So what does it mean they shared everything in common? Selling their possessions and goods, they gave to anyone as he had need. Now, this is not a command. We see later on Ananias and Sapphira are like, okay, we're going to sell. We don't really want to sell everything we have and give to everybody, but we want to look like we do. And so they sell a little bit of what they have, or they sell what they have, and they give part of it to the church, part of it to the community. Don't think in terms of like putting stuff in the offering plate. There's no offering plates at this time, right? Think of like sharing everything with the community. And then they end up getting killed because they lie to the Holy Spirit, Peter says. And before they die, he says, you didn't need to do that. You could have thrown a fiver in the plate and said, here's a fiver, right? I mean, you don't need to say, it's not a command to like sell everything, but, What is reality is that everything that you have belongs to me. Every single dollar that you have is mine, and every single dollar that I have belongs to you. Your house belongs to me, and my house belongs to you. Your time belongs to me, and my time belongs to you. This happens all the time. People will say things, like almost every time I talk to one of you guys, you'll give me a call during the week, or you'll stop by the church, and you'll say, look, I'm really sorry to take up your time. And I always think, I mean, that's what I'm supposed to do, right? I mean, I don't need to apologize to you for wanting to talk to you. We should just assume that your time belongs to me. And if I want a piece of your time, it's okay because it's mine anyway. So, okay, that, that's all, that, that, that's at this point, probably for most of us, just theory. Why is it, why would this be theory? This is really, really hard for us as Americans as postmodern Americans who value private property and personal space almost more dearly than anything else. To give up slices of that space to other people, it's extremely hard to do. And and yet here we are, we're called to do it. Do this. Go downstairs and on the wall. Now, I'm being real practical here. On the wall of the hallway as you're going into the parish hall, there's going to be, you're going to see a bunch of, a bunch of sign-up sheets on the hall. Dave Moldenhauer put up a couple sheets. And one of the sheets is things that I need. And there's a list of stuff that people wrote down there that they need help with. Or a lot of it's just like, uh, one of you wrote, I want somebody to play racquetball with. And somebody put down there, I need help doing this job. And then there's another sheet. It's a sheet of stuff that people are good at. I want you to go down there and I want you to look at that sheet And I want you to find something that people need and say, I'm just going to do this this week. I'm going to give them a call. I'm going to do this. Put your name up there and say, this is something I'm good at. I'm willing to do this for whoever wants it. I'll mention her by name because she's not here and I won't embarrass her. Shanna wrote down on there, I'm good at painting. You know, Shanna teaches Spanish at the high school, but as a summer job when she was like in college, she did painting. And so... Angela and I were going to paint a bathroom. We thought, well, let's ask Shanna. It's really, really hard. It's like, so painting, you know, it's kind of the dumb work that I can do. But to to go to Shanna and say, hey, can you paint this bathroom? It's really sort of like, I just feel super guilty, like impinging on her personal space. Like, can you do me a favor is a hard thing to say to people. And that's why part of this is postmodernism, right? Part of this is that. We don't like people in our space and we're uncomfortable going into other people's space. But just as a practical matter, I want you to go down there and look at that list and resolve that this week or next week or sometime soon, you are going to participate in somebody's life by doing something in their space with your space or doing something for them with your money or doing something for them with whatever resources or talents or time that you have. And just stretch yourself past that and you're, it's, it's going to be awkward. It's going to be difficult. But if we start to do this outside of here, we're going to see this sort of community grow and develop. We're going to start to share everything in common. Maybe not maybe not politics, maybe not you know, your favorite hobbies, but everything. All right, second thing I want to point out here. Look down at verse um, 46. Second phrase of verse 46, they broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincerity. This is a weird thing for Luke to bring up, you know? They got together and ate food together. Do you think of eating as, I mean, we all like to eat, but do you think of it as some sort of like random, you have to do it, and so you do it? We probably shouldn't. Do you you think it's interesting how often Jesus talks about food? When Jesus, frequently, when I say frequently, I mean all the time, when Jesus is describing, when Jesus is telling stories about his mission to recreate his universe, or when Jesus is actually doing things to recreate the universe, he does it around food. So think about that, like the prodigal son parable. At the end of the prodigal son, what's happening is this massive party, right? Think about all the wedding banquet parables that Jesus tells. All the time, Jesus is like saying, there's a guy and he decided to throw this big party with lots of food and he went out to invite people. All the time, Jesus is talking about that. Think about, you know, like uh, the Zacchaeus story. Zacchaeus is like, hey, come down, I'm coming to your house, we're going to eat food. Think about all the times that Jesus is actually depicted as eating food. Think about Jesus when he wants to reach out to thousands of people. He sits them down, he teaches and preaches to them. What he says actually isn't recorded in that instance. What is recorded is that he created a bunch of food for them. Think about Jesus when he decides, look, I want to be connected with these people after my ascension In the most intimate and close ways. What's the way that I can be connected with my people? What's the way that he comes up with? A meal. Eating together is super, super important. Eating together is really, really intimate. Think about the meal. Think about having somebody to your home for a meal. It is when you prepare food for somebody to eat. It is intensely personal. If you, so so my, my, my kids will do this sometime. I'm not going to out them. They, they all three do this. Like, Angela will make food for them, and they'll complain about it. So when we, I'll, I'll just say this. Uh, this is actually on Kate, and she doesn't mind me telling the story. I don't think. So we had this little box of questions that um, little strips of paper, and there's little interesting questions in there, and you stick them in a box, and we'll eat food. And every once in a while, we'll pass this box around, and everybody reaches in, and you pull out a question, and you answer the question. So Kate pulls out a question one time. And the question, some of them are, it's this one, what's the worst thing you've ever smelled? And she said, without like missing a beat, she said, this pasta. <laughs> so, you know, and so I tell Kate, look, so your mom works to make food for you? Like, what would you do, Kate, like if you like drew a picture for mom? You know what your kids do, right? You draw a picture for mom, or you make mom a card, and then you hand that card to mom, and mom says, that's the worst thing I've ever seen. You wouldn't be like, you wouldn't be like, oh, okay, Well, what can I do to make it better? You would actually be crushed, right? When you make somebody food, whether it's for your family, like Angela cooks for us, or whether it's for guests that you're having over, it's intensely personal. It is this. It is the exact same thing as composing a song or writing a poem or telling a story. It's a part of you. And if somebody criticizes those things, it's not, you don't see that objectively. You feel it personally. Think about what you're doing when you prepare food for somebody. You're giving somebody a part of yourself. Rightly so. Do this. Invite people over and give them a part of yourself. Think about what it's like to go to somebody's house for dinner, to be invited over, and to sit there and allow yourself to be served. Is this not the case? So Angela I was just you go over to somebody's house and they serve you. And you eat the meal, you know, and you're you're grateful because that's the way you were raised. But then what do you do? You go into that mode where you're like, okay, so what can I do? Can I help you clean up the dishes? What can I do to help? And, And good hosts are always like, no, 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 just sit down and relax. I'll take care of it. But you know that sitting there, it's difficult to watch people serve you. It's difficult to accept service. Why is this? Go back to the first point. Because we don't like having everything in common. We like that space. Now, you feel like you're being nice. Like, I want to help out. But actually, you're a little bit uncomfortable with somebody giving themselves completely to you. Somebody having everything in common with you. Their food, their time, their energy. It makes us feel weird. We're going to have to get past that. Second practical thing that you can do. Start asking people over for dinner. When was the last time you in the church, you had somebody come into your space and fed them the food that you created, the food, the the, the recipes that you thought up that you worked real hard to plan out, and you gave yourself to somebody. When was the last time you allowed yourself to sit down and be completely served by food? It's weird. It's awkward. We don't like to do that. There's sort of a safe middle ground where you're like, hey, let's go to Captain D's. Don't do that. There's lots of reasons why you shouldn't go to Captain D's. But like, go to each other's homes. Participate in life with each other. Be served and serve. Share everything in common. Allow who you are in Jesus Christ to be experienced in a tangible and tactile way. Feel the weight of having everything in common, of belonging completely to somebody. Our kids sit down at our tables for every meal. We should be sitting down at each other's tables for meals as well. Third thing, look at the first part of verse 46. Every day they continue to meet together in the temple courts. So they're in each other's homes every day, Luke says, but also they're meeting together in the temple courts every day. Why would they go to the temple courts? They don't sacrifice anymore. Since Jesus died and rose from the dead, that sacrificial system is now defunct. It's obsolete. But they go there because that's where you go to talk about God. That's where you go to hang out hang out with your fellow believers. They've always done that, and they're going to continue to do that. One of the things that we do with God Talk is we think of it as a church thing. And some of us can leave here and not talk about God or think about God at all for the whole week until we come back again. And somehow we've, we, we, we somehow have turned this, this isn't a Lutheran thing, this is an American evangelical thing. We've made this somehow okay. That, well, I go to church every Sunday, so I'm really, really doing well. Well, what is, what is it doing? How is this and this fueling your God life through the rest of the week? If it's not, if this is just like your one, one off event for the week where you come and do your God business, then you're not really experiencing all of life coming under the authority of God. All of life all together, coming under the authority of God. We need to figure out a way to get together and be Christians together. So this brings me to the third practical point. Uh, so, some of us have been working on this uh, for a few months now, since April. What we want to do here at St. James is we want to start uh, community groups. Groups that will meet during the week and discuss God's word. And the way that we want this to look is um, groups of you know 6 to 10, maybe 12 groups, small groups, uh, getting together once a week in each other's homes. Remember, this is important. They're in each other's homes every every day, Luke says. Very casual. You don't need to dress up for this. You don't need to even prep for this. And what we're going to do is we're going to get together and we're going to discuss the sermon text. Uh, Dale and Rhonda Langenfeld have worked on a series of questions that are going to help us get into the text. So you're going to come to church on Sunday, or if you can't can't make it, you can always um, listen to the sermons uh, on the website or just email me and I can send you the readings. You're going to maybe read through this, the, the sermon text before you show up, and then you're going to get there and you're just going to talk about the sermon text. It's not going to be lecture time. It's going to be us getting together as the family and talking about God's Word. The church is going to provide child care, and so if you have children, child care will be free. Childcare will be there in the home where you're meeting. This is going to be a great way to take what we're doing during the sermon, during the lessons, and like moving it out of this room. Where it's so easy to contain it in here. It's so easy to pop that door open out there, step into the sunshine, and it's behind you. Not because you want to abandon it, but just we've trained ourselves. Oh, church is over. That was pleasant. Hopefully it's pleasant again next week. And step away. But here what we're going to do is we're going to move it out of here not that we ever want it not to be in here, but we're going to move it out of here into each other's homes as a reminder that this belongs not just in here, but this belongs in here and in here all week long. If you're interested in this, and I know that a bunch of you are, because like I said last week, 90% of you have told me as you've begun attending here, I've really been lonely in my church experience. I've gone to church my whole life and I don't feel like I know anybody. I don't feel like I have intimate relationships. Okay. Okay. Let's get this fixed. Not just because I don't want you to be lonely. The loneliness is just a byproduct of the fact that we aren't doing acts, that we aren't sharing our life in Christ together. Loneliness is the symptom. It's like the pain in your stomach that says go to the hospital. Your loneliness is the symptom that says there's something more out there. There is Jesus, not just contained in these little walls here, but Jesus, you guys, the body of Christ exists out there for all time. Let's start making it happen. Let's fix that boredom. Let's fix that loneliness. Not because we're doing it, because Jesus is with us all the time. Let's be in each other's homes. Let's be in each other's lives. Let's be sharing everything in common. Let's be eating meals together. Let's be gathering regularly around God's word. If you're interested, and I know that you are, there's a sign-up sheet on the... I, this is a really bad way to end a sermon, like with sign-up sheets. I apologize. There's got to be a better way to do this on the table to the right in the narthex, after you pass by and shake my hand. Put your name and your uh, email address and your phone number down on there, and we will get a hold of you. We will talk to you about, like, what's a good night of the week for you, and we'll figure out a way to get into each other's homes and start sharing our life with God together. Because largest principle here, let me go back to what we did last week, just finish up there so I don't finish up with sign-up sheets. All of God belongs to all of you. You are the body of Christ. You are such an integral part of my life. And I don't mean like, I really, really like you and I'd be sad if I didn't get to see you anymore. No, no, I desperately need you. If you're the foot and I'm the hand, I can't make it across the kitchen to pick up the coffee unless you, the foot, take me there. I need you and you need me. Let's start being the body of Christ together. Amen.